Uh, I'm excited about what we have the opportunity to do in the next coming weeks because the series we're about to walk into is something that God taught me probably 15 years ago. He taught it uh, through another pastor, a man named Tim Keller. I don't know if you ever heard that name. If you don't know who Tim Keller is, you need to get to know him. Keller has a deep, rich understanding of Scripture, but also an uh, understanding of how to apply God's Word to our life today. And, and he went through this series, and he talked about how the fruit of the Spirit, looking Galatians chapter 5, how that flows out of a heart that has been transformed by God, or how it's possible for the fruit of the Spirit, really not from the Spirit, to flow out of a heart of selfishness that on the outside looks good, but see, on the inside isn't motivated and driven by the grace of God. Now, let me explain that again. It's possible for our morality to come out of not of a heart that was changed, a heart that's operating through the grace of God, the power of God, uh, the influence of God, but rather through a heart that is very self-centered and cold, that on the outside looks good, but see, on the inside, it's motivated by selfishness and not by love for God. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. If you pay attention to the news at all, or certainly within the church, there's been a lot of Christian leaders who have fallen over the last two years. Some of the biggest Christian leaders that lead, and certainly in the area of leadership, have fallen over the last two years, and many people ask, you know, how could that happen? How could it happen that someone so gifted, so talented, so amazing, would fall into such temptation, so brokenness that we see in, in many of our leaders today? And I don't know if you've experienced this, but sometimes as a leader, certainly when you're sacrificing a lot, you're giving a lot, you're carrying much more than people realize, it's easy to fall into self-pity. It's easy to give yourself permission because you're doing it, you're carrying it, and you're leading it, that people should overlook my behavior because of all that I'm doing for them. And it's very easy in the church as you sacrifice and serve to become very focused on yourself and to do all the good things for God, not out of a love for people or a love for God, but really out of a love for self. So that all your good stuff comes out of a love for self, which means it's very easy to fall into the bad stuff. Because why do you fall into bad things? Because you love yourself. And it's all about being self-centered and self-motivated. So as we jump into this series, as we look at the fruit of the Spirit and how each one of these aspects, these qualities of the Spirit, flow not out of a heart that's focused on itself, but rather a heart that is motivated and operating through the grace of God. So as we jump into 1 Corinthians 13, here's what we're going to see. And this is an amazing passage. Typically, you hear it at weddings. It's really not about weddings so much. Paul didn't write it for weddings. But rather, he wrote it to expose the condition of our heart. Because in verses 1 through 3, what we're going to discover is everything the Corinthian church was. And this was probably, could have been the first mega church. This was an incredibly talented and gifted community of people. A community of people that were not just intelligent, they were successful, and that's why they lived in Corinth. Corinth was the New York of the day. It was a place of commerce where all those people came to be challenged to rise to the top. Well, verses 1 through 3 describe what they are, but ready for this. When you get to love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. The bad news is that describes everything that they were not. On the outside, they were morally good, 
They were self-sacrificing. They seemed to have the vitality of God in their life. But Paul's going to say to them, with all you're doing, with, with all you're giving, you're being, and you're being with God, it stinks. That on the outside you look good, but on the inside there's something rotten. And this is a big issue for the church today. There's a man named David Brooks. He's a professor at Yale, and I don't know if he's a Christian. But he wrote a book, and it's called The Road to Character, a really interesting study. As we look at our culture, our culture often asks the question, you know, what's most important today? What's most important today? And I think we get caught up in it, and I'll tell you, the church, pastors and leaders, we get caught up in it. Because what our culture says is what's most important, uh, Jason, it's not your character. It's not what you do in private. It's not how you lead your life and care for your family. It's your talent. It's how successful you appear. It's how you come across. It's how you look. And our culture today doesn't care about the qualities that are really going to come up at your funeral. The qualities that really impact people, what our culture says matters, are the things that sparkle, the things that shine, your talents, your gifts, and your abilities. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, turns it around and says, you can have all these things. You can have all these gifts, but if you have not love... You are nothing, and you gain nothing. You ready for this? So we're going to jump into the first. As you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. They keep coming. Self-control. Today we're going to look at love and discover how does love flow out of a heart that has been transformed by the grace and the power of God, and then how does love sometimes flow out of a, if I could say it this way, a morally restrained Heart, a heart that is not governed by God's grace, but really by willpower and self-control. Very different ideas. So let's jump into it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and pick it up in verses 1 through 13. We ready? Yeah. You, don't, you didn't sound confident on that. All right. Thanks. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have a faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. For love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. See, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see as face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know as I am fully known, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, 
and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I want to ask that through the intercession of the Spirit, you may take the truth of your word. And Lord, would you bring it alive to where we are right now in our own life, whether that's a lack of the experience of the love of God. Or maybe, Father, for some of us, it's just we love ourselves so poorly and so harshly that your love is distant from us. Would you break through, Father, the lies we carry in our heart, our own experience, the things that right now we want to hold up against the glory of God? Would you tear those down in Jesus' name and enable us to meet love as a power and as a person? Father, it's only as we experience your love that we can begin to express that love. So even in this time today, would the miraculous happen? Would you come near and would you manifest your love among us? Father, thank you for this opportunity and chance to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul's going to warn you, just because someone is talented, just because they stand up front like me, just because they quote a lot of scripture doesn't mean that they're operating in the grace of God. There's a big difference between a spiritually transformed and transforming heart and a morally restrained heart. So here's the idea that we're going to see. First thing we're going to see in verses 1 and 2 is that gospel character, and gospel character means a heart that is captivated by the gospel. Now, what's the gospel? It's simply the good news of Jesus Christ. One way to define the gospel is the gospel is God. When Jesus said, you've seen me, you have seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. So in Jesus is the good news. The good news is this is God. And ultimately the good news is that God lived among us. He lived the life we should have did, lived. He died our death. He rose again so that through him we may know the Father. So what is gospel-transformed character? Meaning, what is character through which the love of God is resonating and captivating the heart? And here's the first idea, that gospel character is not the same thing as talent. It's not the same thing as ability. So watch this again, verse 1 and 2. You've probably heard this, well, fairly frequently, but he says in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now look at that list. Speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Fathom mysteries, knowledge. Have a faith that removes mountains. All of those are abilities. There's something that you do. In this church, he's saying you have all these things. You have ecstatic, exciting gifts like speaking in the tongues of men and of angels. I don't even know what that means. It sounds great, though. You have a a tremendous, ecstatic leadership gift. You're someone who's exciting. People are drawn to you. And then he also says you're prophetic. Now, to be prophetic means to receive direct revelation from God. So here's somebody that has speaking in the tongue of men and of angels, receiving direct revelation from God, but they're doing it out of selfishness. And this is possible to do it out of selfishness instead of love for God. And then he says, uh, you know, uh, uh, fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Now, to fathom all mysteries and knowledge is to be a gifted communicator and teacher. 
to take complex ideas, to boil them down and to communicate them in a way that causes people to understand. And then finally, they had the kind of faith, and this is not saving faith, but it's a faith that removes or moves mountains. That's visionary gifting. That's casting a vision to a community of people and saying, this is the direction we're going to go. And everyone says, hey, we can't move a mountain. Yes, we can. And they get you there. This is a tremendous, all of us would want to go to a church like that. Speaking in the tongues of men and of angels, fathoming mysteries, prophetic powers, and then the visionary leadership gift up front that causes us together to do something we have never done before. Wow. And yet Paul says it's possible to do all of that without love operating in the heart. It's easy, ready for this? To be deceived by gifted leaders. It is easy to be deceived by gifted leaders. And he's telling you, do not associate talent with grace. Do not associate abilities with maturity. The two things are not equal to each other. Now, it gets worse than that because, see, Jesus took it to a little higher level. I think Paul, reflecting on the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, takes this idea, because in Matthew 7, we have these expression of gifts that we would think it's only possible to do this if you're walking with God. You know, it's only possible to preach, right? It's only possible to have visionary gifts if you're really walking in intimacy with God. But in Matthew chapter 7, in verses 21 and 22, this is how Jesus described gifts, gifts that are so miraculous, and yet... That person's heart is far from God. Listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. See, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father, my Father who is in heaven. You see, on that day, which is the last day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Now, notice that's one of the things that the Corinthians did well. They had prophetic powers, revelation from God. Did we not prophesy in your name? Hey, Jesus, didn't we, didn't we cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to him, and notice, he doesn't disagree. You are talented. You did do tremendous things. God used you to transform the lives of many. But here's the key. I never knew you. Depart from me. See, what is the goal of the Christian life? It is to know God. That is the foundation of why the Bible was written. We're not the hero of the story. The reason that Jesus Christ came was to show us the Father so that through him we might have a relationship with God. But it's possible to do ministry in a way that avoids Jesus. It's possible to do your Christianity and to manage sin and to manage a good behavior and a moral lifestyle so I never have to turn to Jesus for help. I can kind of walk in pretending or performing. Does that make sense to you? It's possible just to kind of address the sin in your life, to clean it up enough that you really avoid intimacy with God. Now, if I looked at that list and I said, hey, prophetic powers cast out demons, I don't think I've done that, Jesus. If I saw someone doing that, I would say, hey, that's someone walking with God. And yet, the test is not 
your talents and abilities. It's the depth of your intimacy with God. You see how that kind of turns things upside down? Character doesn't come from your doing. It comes from your being. And I think in our culture today, the idea of solitude with God, silence with God, intimacy with God is something that's missing. And if I can confess for a minute, this is a huge temptation for me. I'll tell you it's a huge temptation because I, I have so many podcasts, I have so many speakers, so many pastors I listen to, so many books I read, and I go, wow, if I could only speak like that, if I could only sing like that, if I could only lead like that, and then I read another book, and that book tells me about this book and this pastor and this person, and you're constantly running down this road of comparison, and you're saying, hey, I got to do it better, I got I to I gotta get up earlier, I got to work harder. And what in the process is left behind is really knowing him, experiencing him, listening to him, which sometimes seems, ready for this in our culture? Jesus, spending time with you is just not productive. We live in a pragmatic culture. Pragmatism, am I getting it done? Do I see results? but we do not see the results that come only from intimacy with God. And he's saying to us in our culture and in our day that is far more valuable in the sight of God. A heart that truly loves him and knows him is going to produce more fruit in the end than simply talents and abilities. You know, that is a word that we desperately need today. That for Christians, we need to be a people that are not just operating in our giftings, but in the character that comes from the Holy Spirit that is set on intimacy with God. So let's just stop right there. Because see, the Holy Spirit will not produce fruit apart from intimacy with Christ. The Holy Spirit will not produce fruit apart from intimacy with Christ. And so are we a community of people who are seeking solitude with our Savior Maybe silence with our Savior, community with our Savior. Are we seeking to know and to experience God? That's where the heart of the, that fruit comes from. So on the one hand, he's telling us gospel, gospel grace, gospel character doesn't come from talents and abilities. So hold that aside. But here's the here's this next argument, right? Because some of us would say, you're right. All those talented people, all those gifted communicators writing new books, you know, all that stuff, they always got their face on the book. You notice that? You go by, the, it's always their face uh, that's on the front of the cover. I'd probably put my face on the front too. I know, I get it. That's the problem, right? What we need today, Jason, Pastor, I agree with you, what we need is valor. What we need is commitment, sacrifice, virtue. Well, notice what the next list is about. It's not a list of talents. It's not a list of abilities. He's actually going through a list of virtues. And he says this. Watch this verse, uh, if I can find it here, verse 3. Man, my eyes are getting old. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now notice, this isn't abilities. So he says, if I, if I give away all I have, so that's deep generosity. Today we may call that social justice. There's a lot to talk about social inequality today. And this is not someone that's just committed to the message. Notice the word is, I give all. 
This is radical self-sacrifice. This is Mother Teresa Gandhi-type level stuff. Not just simply to care for the poor, but to enter into the suffering of the poor when I could be caring for myself. Deep social change. Someone entering into self-sacrifice, that's a moral virtue. That's someone that's willing to give up their own comfort, their own care of themselves for the betterment of someone else. You would look at that and say, God has to be in that. There's no way you can motivate that through selfishness or self-centeredness. And then notice he goes on from that, not just moral virtue, because, you know, social justice, uh, maybe we question some of those people. Why are they doing this? What are they really after? And then notice it's martyrdom is the next one. I give my body to be burned. That's called today integrity, a willingness to take what you believe to its, its natural conclusion. So here's someone's willing to sacrifice all they have to give their body to the flames, but notice what he says about them. If grace is not operating in the heart, it's not I am nothing, is it? Rather, he changes the language because now he says you gain nothing. That it's possible for your moral virtue not to be out of a heart of self-sacrifice and love for God, but rather to gain something selfishly for myself. Do you, do you see that? Do you see that, con- that, that, is a, that concept, that idea, that it's possible to be that good, that morally virtuous, that self-sacrificing, and yet what is operating in the heart is a self-centeredness, maybe a fear and a pride. Now, let me tap into that for just a moment because, I, again, I think this is a part of our cultural experience. You know, growing up as a young boy, often when I was taught discipline or I was taught morality, there were two operating motives in my heart, two operating motives that maybe my parents used, I think definitely teachers used, people used, and, and this is how it kind of worked out in my life. And maybe as parents, and you can check yourself if you're parenting or even talking to someone else about morality, to see if these motivations are the operating mode in your heart. That I was told, hey, Jason, don't lie, and here's why, because you're going to get you're going to get caught. You're going to get, someone's going to find out. Eventually, they're going to find out, and when they find out, there's going to be consequences. That's one of the ways that people taught me about morality. Now, here's the other flip side of that. Maybe you were on this side. This was your home. It was not, hey, you're going to get caught, but don't tell a lie. You don't want to be a liar. You don't want to be known as one of those kinds of people. You want to have good moral integrity. Now, think about it. What is the motivation underneath those statements because we'd all say hey it's good not to lie it's good not to lie it's better that we don't lie it's better to tell the truth so what is the motivation when someone says you don't lie because you're going to be found out it's called fear fear is a selfish motivation for doing the right thing you're going to get caught which means your life isn't going to go well you're using the selfishness of the heart against itself to produce something good. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, let's take the second idea. When someone says to you, don't lie because you don't want to be a liar. What is that? It's called pride. I don't want to be associated or known, my identity to be known with that community of people. Here's how morality operates often when we teach morality is we teach it from the basis of fear, you don't want these bad consequences, or from the basis of pride. And what you get is a good moral person, maybe a self-sacrificing person, 
But what's operating in their heart is love for themselves. Now, hey, it's better to be moral than immoral. So in our culture, it's better to promote telling the truth. But God, it goes deeper. You have to understand, Christianity is not about morality. Trust me, Christians are not better than the rest of the world. We are not loved by God because we are more moral. Rather, Christians should always be those who recognize that they are less moral than the rest of the world. Now, why? Because we have perfection. We have seen love. We have experienced love. We have tasted patience. We have seen faithfulness in a way that the rest of the world, if they haven't seen the person of God in Jesus Christ, they haven't seen that. So Christians should always be those who see themselves in the light of God's character and not in comparison to others because that's fear and pride. When you're comparing yourself and you look out the world and you, you judge them based on your morality, that is the operation of selfishness in the heart and not the love of God. Are you with me on that? So he says you gain nothing. So on the first part, he says you are nothing or you gain nothing, that it's possible to do our morality out of a selfishness to get something. And often what it is to get something, that word gain, in the Greek it means to count. The reason I do what I do is to count. Now to count sometimes, I think for me, if I had to be honest, it would be approval. The reason I want to do my morality now is because you are watching and I feel your eyes, they are on me, so I'm going to show you just how morally good I am. Do you know how dark that is? See, Jesus takes us not just to the level of behavior. God didn't come to reform behavior. Otherwise, the Pharisees, they were in. He came to put a new righteous motivation in the heart. I'm not righteous because of what I do. I'm righteous because I recognize I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And what that leads to is not fear and pride, church. It leads to humility. I am so sinful, Christ had to die. I'm always walking in that, and yet a tremendous courage. I am so loved that Jesus was willing to die for me. Have you ever seen humility and courage in one? You don't see it very often because when I'm courageous, I'm often a jerk. When I, take, I step into that place of courage, it's often out of selfishness and pride and fear and all that stuff, and I kind of blast into the room. Jesus always came into the room in humility, knowing who he is, knowing what God's called him to do, and yet walking in confidence in who he is. That is the Christian love God wants us to walk us in. He wants us to walk in. Now, the question is, how do we get there? Because we don't want to be this kind of people that are constantly questioning every step we take, every motivation, because that's kind of weird as well. But God wants to get down to the heart. So how do we understand, how do we work this out in our own life? Well, in verses 1 through 4, what God is calling us to, and when you read that, and let me kind of test. Here's the test. Ready for this? So when I say love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not self-seeking, it is not rude, it keeps no record of wrongs. Do you see that as a test? Do you see, did you immediately compare yourself? Boy, I am kind of impatient. Uh, I do keep records of wrongs. I got a lot of records of wrongs. Or do you see it as a person? Paul says the law kill, kills, the spirit of God gives life. When you read that, your heart always goes to the law. I don't measure up. And, and that can be a good place to be. But what Paul is describing here is not a test. He's saying this is a person. There is one who is patient and kind. 
who was not rude and not self-seeking, and on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. No record of wrong. Now, no record of wrong doesn't mean that we're not culpable. It means he doesn't treat you according to what you deserve. He always treats you according to what he wants for you. In verses 4 through 7, what he's saying is before you can express this love, you have to walk in this love and experience this love. That in Christianity, love is first a power and a person before it's a set of do's and don'ts. So the question for us is, are we walking in that? Are we experiencing love as a power and as a person. Now, how's that going to happen? And here's the thing you've got to replace. So if we jump back in verse 1, verse 1 is going to lay out a new way of thinking when you're approaching this idea of love or the love of God. So in verse 1, notice what he says as we jump back up. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. So here's the contrast the Corinthians get, but we think, okay, this seems a little strange. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, scholars tell us clanging cymbals, noisy gongs, that's called pagan worship. That people, what they would do is they'd have these processions to the temples, the temples of the goddess Diana, whatever it is. And what you had to do is you had to wake Diana up. Because, see, the goddess Diana wouldn't focus her attention on you unless she saw you as worthy, unless she saw you as acceptable that you had to perform in her presence so the goddess Diana could bless you and focus her attention on you. See, in Christianity, we don't do our doing to get the approval of God. No, the gospel is we do our doing because we have the approval of God. What does that remove, church? Fear and pride. Fear and pride that our doing comes out of not an emptiness but a fullness. Not out of I am nothing, so i got to prove I'm something, or I gain nothing, so i got to try to get something. It comes out of this idea that in Jesus, the Father looks at you and says, you are my, my daughter, you are my son, in you I am well pleased. That the statement that was given to Jesus in faith falls upon us, and our ability to receive that is our ability to start understanding the power and the grace of God, that what he's describing is as Christians, we have to change the way we approach God. Christianity fundamentally changes your operating motive. You're not approaching on the basis of law. So remember verses four through seven, love is patient, love is kind. You're checking yourself on that, weren't you? Not doing too well. You've got to see that first as a person doing that for you and in the grace of God humbling you so that you might have courage in his love. You have to first every day approach God as he sees you in Christ and not as you see yourself in your sin. you got to turn that story around. You see that? And then next, you need to learn to meet love. You've got to learn to meet love as a power and as a person. You've got to learn to meet love as a power and a person. So here's one of our challenges. And I think it's a huge challenge for many of us. You've got to realize this. You've got to be patient with each other because everyone in this room had a different experience of love growing up. Can we admit that? Okay. We all had a different experience of love growing up. And you cannot take a child and ask them to do something that they haven't first experienced when it comes to love. 
You can only love, in a sense, out of the love you have experienced. Because you have to first experience love. Wouldn't you agree with that? To really express love. And for some of us, maybe you didn't grow in a home that was very loving. And you look at that person and you may condemn them saying, why can't you love like me? Well, realize maybe they need to be loved before they can express love. So in 1 John, John captured it this way. He said, um, dear children, let us love one another. Now, why? Because love comes from God. See, love is not something you create. It's something God gives. For God so loved that he gave. Love is always what God gives, not what we can give to him. Dear children, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. What is that? That is experiencing love as a power and as a person. Dear children, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who does not love does not know God. They haven't experienced the love of God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his only son into the world. Why? So we, ready for this, might live through him. Do you hear the language? Hey, so that, why did he send his son? So that you might be patient and kind, keep no record of, no, so you might live through his love. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself as an atoning, a covering sacrifice for our sins. See, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete, which means it's fulfilled. Because the love of God that comes to us is always given to us to work through us. The love of God that comes to us is, when he says it's complete, it meaning it's met its fulfillment, that God loves us and it, we experience that love so that his love might flow through us. So let me just stop as we begin to, to kind of wrap it up today to, to really say, you know, where am I in that? Am I somebody that is constantly condemning myself for my lack of love? Well, realize Jesus said something about that. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you don't love yourself well in Christ, meaning seeing yourself as God does, you're not going to love others well. Some of you, that's where you need to repent. You don't love yourself very well. You don't see yourself as you are in Christ. You're constantly going to the law and comparing yourself and seeing how you don't measure up instead of allowing the law to run you back to the grace of God and Jesus and saying, wow, man, I am a screw-up, but gosh, look at the love of Christ for me. You need more courage. And some of you, you got too much courage. And you need to come back down and see the weightiness of your own brokenness and sin and stop walking in your competencies, which really are the grace of God and the operation of God in your life, and start saying, God, I know you don't love me because I'm successful. I know you don't love me because I'm good at what I do. Father, I recognize that in Christ you have sacrificed for me so that I might experience your love in my heart and in that to allow myself to love others. Hey, this week as we begin this series, that's what we need the Spirit of God to do. That the Spirit of God only operates when we're walking in the presence of God. And so, hey, this week, I don't know what that needs to look like for you. Maybe it's turning off the radio as you drive to work. Maybe it's when you get up, don't go to the news. News ain't going to love you. That crash on I-70, that news, that doesn't love us. 
you've got to deal with that. You've got to have the love of God operating in your heart so you can respond to it in a way because you're going to run into people who have not experienced the love of God. And you can't love them unless his love is operating in your heart. So this week, whatever it is, we need to stop, start uh, turning off those things that are keeping us from his love or even asking, what is the love that I'm operating in today? Is it a love that condemns, always keeps a record of wrongs? To turn from that and say, Father, help me through Jesus Christ to experience the love that you've poured out in my life. And then to walk in that. And would we be patient with each other? Because not everybody in this room grew up in the same house. And if you grew up in that house, you need to rejoice in God that your parents loved you and cared for you. But a lot of people haven't. And you need to allow them to experience love before you expect them to give love. That's the level of maturity that God wants for us. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. You remind me, this is love. Jason, this is love. Not that you loved me, but that I loved you to the extent that I was willing to come and to be an atoning sacrifice, a covering sacrifice for your sin, that you, you're no longer naked and exposed, but rather the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ covers our nakedness and our shame. Lord, you fully know us and you fully love us, but we don't believe it. And until we're willing to admit, Father, I don't believe the depths of your love, I need to look into it again. And with Paul, just boldly pray, Father, show me how deep and how wide and long and high is the love of Christ. And may I, epigenos, may I know this love that, that experientially. Father, may our knowledge become experience through the power of the Spirit that today, as we walk out, we just, the only words we can grasp are Abba, Father. Abba, Father, thank you that you are with us and you love us. And I pray for anyone here today that the love of God is a concept. Lord, would you incarnate the love through the power of the Spirit into their heart and begin to open up as we confess we need it, Father. Would you begin to open up just the hardness maybe of our own past experiences or just our inability to trust you right now. Father, in Jesus' name, would that come down? Would the arguments against the glory of God come down and the power of the gospel begin to open our eyes to see you again as we look into the face of God through the experience of Christ Jesus? Lord, meet us here. And in this season, Lord, as we, as we remember your resurrection, would your resurrection power and life be what's driving us, Lord, as we move forward um, so that others might hear and see the gospel in us. We thank you, Father, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand. We're going to close out with a song. When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy out
raised to high Said she no longer has a place to hide I'm not a captive Father, uh, you tell us perfect love, it can cast out fear. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Lord Jesus, with the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with the true and indwelling love of God the Father, and then the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, guide us. May we walk in that this week and know, Father, the only reason you love us is because you first loved. And it's your love that enables us to love others. Father, guide us in that gospel truth we ask this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. It's good to see you.